What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods coming back at y'all with another episode of our big 12 and 30 days theme. We're joined by the voice of the Kansas Jayhawks entering his sixth season and the director of broadcasting at Kansas University. We have Brian Handy joining us today, and I just want to say I appreciate you joining me. Hey, Zach. Thanks a lot for having me on. Always excited to talk Kansas athletics and KU football, and certainly we feel like we're in the midst of a really exciting time of change with new leadership atop the entire department and new leadership atop the football program, and that's still kind of coming into focus on what that's going to look like. But the bottom line is I think there's a renewed and rejuvenated energy and optimism around these athletic offices and hallways right now. And as we head into the spring game on May the 1st and what comes up in the fall, uh, just a lot of restored excitement in, in the what our future entire academic campus-wide looks like, not just football. So certainly uh, excited to be on with you and spread some of that joy and enthusiasm and break down kind of the new head hawk as well since we're going to talk some Travis Goff, it sounds like. Yeah, man. I mean, we got to start last year, you know, at last year before we get into all the optimism, man. You know, I feel like it was safe to say it was a difficult season for the Jayhawks. I know you said like it's turning around now, but there was there was a bit of promise in 2019. You saw a lot of guys kind of pop out of nowhere, have their breakout seasons. Everyone's saying, okay, they can build on those wins, but then, you know, a winless season and, you know, all this turmoil. But what was your take on the season as a whole? And for you, what was just missing? Like, what just didn't seem to click for this 2020 team? Well, you know, it was a difficult year on a lot of levels for everybody when you're going up against everything that the pandemic brought to the fact that we didn't have a single spring practice. I mean, some programs got in their full spring, got in half their spring. We didn't have anything. And so for a program that's trying to restock the cupboard, so to speak, talent wise, and then grow up all these young pieces that you've added to the fold to completely miss out on the spring, have an abbreviated preseason. I mean, we were operating behind the eight ball when you're talking about trying to build from the ground up and then you lose out on those 15 practices and lose out on a lot of that offseason development that would have been so key for this Kansas team. And obviously when we lost to Coastal Carolina right out the gate for the second straight year, nobody at the time realized how good Coastal was going to actually be. In hindsight, only losing by 15, I guess, doesn't look that bad when you consider what they did the rest of the way. But uh, I think for this Kansas club, you know, you were trying to figure out who the quarterback was going to be and for much of the season we were going with the true freshman and Jalen Daniels who I think has a bright future but again he didn't have hardly any preseason or or offseason to work with because of the pandemic and so you were mixing and matching pieces and parts that needed more time and more experience together and and then to call it like it is and this is not to make excuses at all but that did not dress due to COVID protocols list seem to bite Kansas hard every Saturday, and we're just not at a place in the development of this program trying to, as I said, restock the shelves of talent where we could weather that storm. I mean, we had one game, Zach, where we were starting seven freshmen out of 11 offensive positions because of of COVID guys that, that were unavailable for that day, whether they had it or it was contact traced or whatever. There was one game where we literally had seven 18 year olds trotting out there and that's just that's like showing up to a gunfight with a water pistol and that's not to say these freshmen aren't going to be good and and clearly hopefully the experience they got last season helps them going forward but it was one of those situations where 
we didn't have the roster deep enough or developed enough to head into a pandemic-plagued season where you were going to have last-minute scratches and you're playing an Oklahoma team that turns to its two-deep or its three-deep and they've still got four- and five-star guys to turn to and, and we're bringing walk-ons. So yeah. I think while you saw a lot of promise in Coach Miles' first year, particularly with the big win up at Boston College and the, the near victory down at, at Texas, obviously we didn't have that in year two, but it, it was a personnel situation where you know, you're, you're – having no continuity at quarterback. You're having all these key pieces coming in and out of the lineup based on the COVID protocols and the did not dress list. And I think that really affected Kansas about as much as any program in the league. And obviously the results spoke for themselves. Right. And I mean, it also probably didn't help that Iowa state had maybe its best year of all time. Like you said, coastal Carolina might've been the third best loss on the record based on where they ended up being. They were almost a top 10 team in that first playoff poll, but it's been just as tough all season for the Jayhawks. We don't have to get into it. My co-host covers LSU. He's from Baton Rouge. We know about the scandal. We've covered on the podcast. Jeff Long, also out as the AD. But they but Kansas makes a hire. Travis Golf brought in New AD last week. What what was the reaction around campus to his name being announced as a new AD, and what do you expect from him as the head of the Kansas Jayhawks now? Well, I think there's a lot of excitement and the initial returns. Uh, if there was an approval rating like you'd have in politics, uh, he's off the charts right now. I think folks were excited to have a true blue Kansas Jayhawk, a homegrown guy out of Dodge City, Kansas, who was a class of 2002 guy, just like me, by the way, representing for the William Allen White School of Journalism 2002, baby. Uh, but a guy that, that cut his teeth here, that worked in the Williams Education Fund here, which is our fundraising arm of the athletic department. You know, he served this university before he went off to Tulane and Northwestern and grew up as an athletic administrator at those two places, uh, taking part in all kinds of things that developed him as the great leader of, of young men and a leader of departments uh, that he is today. But the fact that it all began at Kansas, this is where his home is, this is where his heart is, he sees this as a destination job. And to him, as he said, it's a dream job. I think that resonates with a lot of Kansas people because while certainly you don't have to have one of your own leading the way, uh, it helps if the guy that's sitting in that chair feels like this is the end-all, be-all, and, and this is where he wants to be all of his days. I think the most refreshing thing I heard, first when he spoke with the staff privately of about 300 athletic department people, and then when he met with the media was he came in and he said, listen, I've got ideas of what I want my vision to look like, but I also recognize that there's people that have been here over the last 17 years while I've been at other schools that know what it takes to win at Kansas. They know what the necessary ingredients are to build the right culture here in all aspects of the department. And I want to get in and meet face-to-face -face with them. I want to pick their brains and then put together a vision collectively together. I, I thought that was great to hear because there's different ways to lead. Sometimes people come in and they think they've got it all figured out and they don't need to listen to the people that have been in these parts for decades on end. Uh, and, you know, there's different ways of Doing things which can have their own successful ways, but I think for this juncture, given some of the turmoil you alluded to, given what we've gone through with the pandemic and, and even before that, the culture needed a guy that came in, prioritized Kansas, the people that are, you know, valuable members of this athletic department and coaching staffs already, and, and yet brings to it 
youthful exuberance, experience from other places. He's going to put an emphasis on connections with the donors and fundraising that I think will exceed what we've had of late uh, with, with what he's been able to do in fundraising at Northwestern. And what I hear was his rapport with the key donors in that donor base. And so for all these reasons, we're super excited. But I think above all of that, just to break it down on a human level, Zach, he's as genuine and authentic upon first meeting him and hearing him speak as anybody I've been around. I thought he absolutely knocked the opening press conference out of the park and he's just been a delight to talk to and so he's the type of guy that wins you over instantly because he values the person he's he's talking to he calls you out by name he asks you questions and that can't help but make you want to run through the wall for this guy and do whatever it takes to fall in line so hopefully this is the beginning of a very happy marriage for a long long time because obviously that's been a chair that's that's seen some different leaders in the last 20 years or so. But, uh, you know, we've had some great people sit in that chair too. And, and from Dr. Bob Frederick through Lou Perkins and, and the guy that hired me, Shane Zanger, we've had some good ones. But I think this is a guy that sees this as the destination job for the rest of, of his professional career. And hopefully we'll do a whole lot of winning and that'll be the case. I hope so. But he's got a big decision on the way. The coaching search is underway. And there's been some candidates that were to have interest. Can't put you on the spot. Guys, if you want to know my top candidate, go check out our two-minute drill episode. I break down all the candidates, give you all my top guy. But for you, what is the timeline that you think is there? What What's the timeline that you would like to see? Because as I said on our episode, you never see coaching searches in the middle of April. With, with signing days, it seems every year signing day moves up. It's like the earlier in December, the better for signing day as we move on. But what is your timeline that you think this decision is going to be made? Such a tough question to answer, Zach, because at the time of taping, Travis Goff is just halfway through his second week on the job, and he's still doing the things I alluded to, which is meeting with as many people as possible, including you know multiple trips in his first week on the job out to an Emmett Jones-led practice to see type of energy and, and the type of execution that the interim head coach is bringing. And that was the first thing he told the media. He said, the energy is truly special that Coach Jones leads with. And, and he's grateful for the job that guys like Coach Jones and, and Joshua Urgel and, and Mike DeBoer, DJ Elliott, just to name a few, have done in the interim. Because when you have some of the turmoil go down that we had, it was so important that we have some of our key leaders step up and keep continuity within the program so that there wasn't a mass exodus in terms of player transfers to keep the arrow pointing upward and developing some of these young guys that we were really excited about because truth be told the leadership the last two years really did bolster our talent base it's just a four or five year overhaul when you were operating at such a a large scholarship deficit and had to really bolster things and so had we not had coach jones step up and and some of the other assistants that I spoke to a second ago, uh, you would have lost a lot of that momentum. But they've done a tremendous job. And so, you know, I think you, know, you want to see the spring conducted uh, as effectively and fully as it can be with the current crop of, of talented coaches. And maybe Travis Goff elects to give Coach Jones the fall too, which gives him more time to look at the coaching landscape of other head coaching options that are out there. He may not decide that that's most prudent. He may like the options – that are already in the mix and may decide that in the next couple of weeks, maybe you go ahead and make a decision. 
But uh, clearly, if he elects to go with Coach Jones into the fall, I think you'd have a lot of excited players in the locker room because there's belief and respect already amongst the, the current roster with him. But if he thinks the most prudent decision is to go ahead and, and make the decision to, to bring in somebody else, I think you'd have excitement there too. Because while I'm not in a position to talk specific names since I work internally for KU and that probably wouldn't be the best thing right now, I think everything you've read is potential names – uh, is certainly exciting for Kansas fans. And there's probably even a few names you haven't read about that have picked up the phone and expressed interest. And I think the thing that I can sell to your listeners is this job is a lot more attractive than meets the eye. And I think Travis Goff's leadership only adds to the attractive nature of this position, everything they're building here. The job clearly is in better shape than it was when Coach Miles first got here in terms of the roster. And, uh, and I think that there's an enthusiasm restored and renewed around the program that if the right leadership is there, we're not as far off as you might think. Uh, but we do need to keep these recruiting classes together. You can't afford to have a bunch of guys leaving because of the turnover at the top, and that's only naturally going to have some defections. And obviously, you know, I'm not beating around the bush when I mention that we, we – lost one of our key pieces from the December signing class already. We won't go into specifics, but uh, that had nothing to do with Les Miles' departure. It's, it's just the way things go sometimes, unfortunately, with uh, you know stuff that happened away from football. But the point is, they, they like the momentum they built to this point. Coach Jones, Coach Urkel, all these guys are helping us keep that momentum. But we'll see what Travis Goff likes to do. I'm not prepared to tell you a specific timeline because I think he's still figuring that out for himself. But I like the fact that we've been able to keep as many key pieces intact as we have. I like the fact that for the first time in two years, we're playing spring football and we're making progress out there. And then at the end of that, if a decision is made that brings about different leadership for the fall, giddy up, let's go. Because that must mean that Travis Goff really liked his options that he had at the time. And if it happens to be Coach Jones, I'm fired up about that too. Because I'll tell you what, as a guy that worked for four years at Texas Tech myself, prior to coming to the University of Kansas, my alma mater, the day he was hired by Les Miles, hired away from Coach Kingsbury's uh, old staff and and, uh, and the folks down there in, in Lubbock, I had so many people, my phone was ringing off the hook saying, oh my gosh, how did you get him at Jones? This guy is so connected in the Metroplex in Dallas-Fort Worth. He's so charismatic. He's so energetic. And and honestly, I, I was a little offended because they were like, man, how did Kansas get this guy? I was like, hey. <laughs> we got a lot to sell here, and I'm glad he's coming because clearly we see him as, as not just a receivers coach but a guy that could be an associate head coach, a guy that could eventually work his way into bigger titles. And here we sit, based on unforeseen circumstances, he's now your interim head coach. And so uh, he clearly was a huge talent waiting in the wings, and we're really lucky to have him. And if we end up having a whole season or maybe even more than that with him, that's awesome too because I, I think Kansas is blessed to have him at the helm. Absolutely, and I want to get more to him. I mean, he's a great coach. You mentioned he was hired on uh, – he was named the interim head coach on March 11th. He's been leading this program through a difficult time. We've seen schools hire interim head coaches and have success. I mean, Coach Ed Orgeron just won a national title two years ago after having the interim tag reply. I mean, and it's funny because he also was replacing Les Miles at LSU when he was the interim head coach. But what does – you know, what does Jones bring to the program and – for you, what made him the top candidate for this interim role? I think it was just the belief that the players had in him. And you needed 
a galvanizing guy that in the midst of tumultuous waters with what was going on with Coach Miles and the athletic director, Jeff Long, at the time, they needed stability that would keep the roster intact, that, as I said earlier, would keep the progress arrow pointed upward. Because, again, we didn't have spring ball last year. And you don't want to have a spring where there's all this murkiness and a cloud of uncertainty over you and guys aren't completely bought in. He has restored that and allowed some of these really talented young pieces that we're so excited about to put their worries to the side on on who's going to be blowing the head coach's whistle in a matter of weeks and just focus on getting better. And and if they have a great spring and it winds up being Coach Jones in the fall, they'll be fired up because you've got 80-some guys that, that think that, uh, in many cases, this guy hung the moon. They're that much of believers in him. Uh, but if they elect to go with a different head coach – it's, it's not like the roster is going to have upheaval at that point either because obviously whoever comes in I think would want to prioritize Coach Jones as well. He's that talented of a guy. And so what do you get with him? You get energy. Uh, you, you get a guy that, that obviously has, has developed some of the best receivers to come through the Big 12 you know, in, in the last half decade plus when you look at some of the guys he worked with at Texas Tech. I know uh, – Kiki Kuti and, and uh, Dylan Cantrell, TJ Vasher, these were all big-time guys. Um, you know, Antoine Wesley, a big-time guy at Texas Tech. And then he comes up to Kansas, and he's not just recruiting receivers. He's bringing in some of the best pieces that we've had. And, you know, as we look at the Kansas personnel for next season, you know, there's, there's one particular piece that's not fully signed yet, so I can't probably talk about him. But it was Coach Jones' influence that helped bring him to the fold, and I think he's going to be an immediate contributor. So that's the type of guy you're getting. He's well-connected throughout the, the recruiting landscape. He's well-respected throughout the Kansas locker room. And he has the type of personality that even if you spend five minutes with him, then you're ready to strap it up and, and get after it and, and run through a wall for this guy. So that's what has Kansas players so excited, and that's what should have Kansas fans encouraged, that if this ends up being more than a six-week type gig, that you're in good hands, and it would allow your athletic director to take his time in making you know, the most well-informed decision possible. But again, not here to predict how quickly that could go down. I just know that we've got the right guy making the decision at the top of the department in Travis Goff, and we've got a really good steward of of the Kansas football talent in Emmett Jones right now. And it's not just him. I mean, he's, he's obviously the interim head coach, but I'm a huge fan of Joshua Urkel, who's been our recruiting coordinator and tight ends coach. And he was a, an interim head coach for one game, last fall when Coach Miles had COVID. And so you've got great leadership young men that are stepping in at a time when we needed consistency and and needed that type of, of uh, you know, raised up leadership during tumultuous times. And that's exactly what we've gotten from names like those two. That's that's awesome. I, mean, I want to get to the recruiting trail you mentioned. I mean, National Signing Day wrapped up two months ago. We saw the Jayhawks Inc., a top 65 class, saw some really quality recruits. I'm looking at Omar Burroughs out of IMG Academy down in Florida, and even a kid like Edwin White out of my hometown in Mobile, Alabama. UMS Preparatory School standout where I went to school when I was in like third grade. What were the biggest needs for the Jayhawks, though, and who do you think is an immediate contributor from this class? Well, you know, we we could see immediate contributions at the quarterback position, but we're just going to have to wait and see, uh, you know, who's calling the plays. Obviously, Mike DeBoer right now is is the offensive coordinator that Les Miles hired prior to everything that went down 
back in March. Uh, but you know, that's a position where can't talk specifics, but you could have an instant influx in talent there. I think obviously, you know, some of the names you mentioned, including Burroughs, who really helps in the secondary, they were able to bolster several spots that I think provide the type of depth we need. There were four safeties in this class. They added only two corners, but they got some good ones. Uh, outside linebacker was a position where I think they added some immediate talent with a couple of key pieces there. On the D-line, there were there were two instant impact guys that, that I think uh, Kansas fans will be excited about, uh, DJ Withers being one of them, and uh, Tommy Dunn, who's a Garland, Texas guy, who's a big, big true freshman. And that, that was probably the, the biggest takeaway is that of the guys we signed in December, all of them high school seniors. And that was Les Miles, you know, mindset in trying to rebuild this and fix the scholarship gap that we were dealing with that, that was originally created at the end of the Charlie Weiss era uh, when a lot of guys left the program. We've been operating at a discrepancy and deficiency there that, that's had us re- really behind it, uh, something fierce, quite frankly. So to ha- hire all you know seniors coming out of high school, incoming true freshmen, sign all those guys like we did, it gives you a chance to build this program the right way. And so yeah, I, I'm excited about a, a freshman out of right here in Lawrence, Kansas, Devin Neal, who was the number one prospect in the state of Kansas. He's a running back, but he also is a baseball player who's going to play for Rich Price's baseball team and maybe be a Bo Jackson of sorts modern day. <laughs> uh, I'm excited about Benny. We, we need some receiver talent. We, we lost, obviously, Andrew Parchment to Florida State. We lost another one of our receivers, Stephon Robinson, to Northwestern. And so they've got an influx of guys, including a name that every play-by-play guy would want to have roll off the lips, Magic Rector. We're going to have fun with that name, Magic Rector. <laughs> Keelan Robinson's a burner. Uh, Scott's a kid that I think is going to make plays for us. We, we did, obviously, uh, I alluded to this earlier, but we, we lost one of our key pieces in this class. Uh, that would have been a nice playmaker. But uh, all things told, I, I like how it came together, especially with the emphasis on high school seniors. Uh, they hit the state of Texas hard, as you always have to do as a Big 12 school with six players from Texas. Coach Miles' staff has had an interesting uh, emphasis on the Southeast Conference portion of the, the U.S. map, as you would expect them to, based on his connections from a decade plus down in, in LSU. So we had four players from Georgia, two from Alabama, two from Arkansas, two from Florida. it will be interesting to see what the new coaching staff, uh, you know, keeps as its areas of emphasis. You'd like to build within the state a little bit more than what we did in this class with just Devin Neal only from Kansas. But we got some key walk-on kids from the Sunflower State too. But uh, I do think it's a good class. And like we've seen the last two years, there have been a lot of immediate opportunities. Some of that brought about by the pandemic and just sheer need for guys to step in and fill a role. But some of that, quite frankly, Zach, brought on by the fact that the kids they were recruiting were better than what we had. And, and <laughs> good to throw a true freshman out there because he brought something to the mix that made us instantly better. And I think half this class could, could be those immediate impact type guys as well. But all of this, as we talk today is sheer speculation because you just don't know who's going to be leading the program and what he thinks, because everybody's going to start with a clean slate. There's not one guy that's entrenched anywhere when you deal with uh, a new AD, a new head coach and and all kinds of turnover at all positional coach positions, or at least a lot of them. So I I think a lot could change between our conversation today in mid-April and what it looks like September the 1st. 
Yeah, we'll have to get you back on as, you know, we get closer to the season to kind of update everyone on the progress. But this is this might be a little harder question, but there, there, spring ball's been kind of going on. You kind of know what the roster is going to look like as of right now. For the 2021 season, are there any players that you're just like, man, like I don't matter who the head coach is, who the AD is, that kid is a ball player, that kid is a playmaker. Who could be who could be a player or two that could have their breakout season this upcoming year? Man, that's that's a great question. I, I think that a guy that was emerging as a leader on this team defensively last year is Kenny Logan. I had a couple of interceptions for us. He was, you know, a guy that initially broke in two years ago in the return game. He had a brother who was an All-American kick returner at Florida and, uh, you know, went on to play briefly in the NFL. Kenny's cut from a similar cloth, and I think he has star written all over him. That's obviously a a tougher one to predict when you're talking about a a defensive back who, you know, isn't going to always have the ball in his hands. But we're dealing with such turnover offensively. Uh, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, to be honest, in terms of uh, who the quarterback is and how they divvy up the carries amongst the running backs and all of that. But uh, clearly we've got some exciting uh, backs in that stable of of RBs. And I think the playmakers, though, we lost some key guys, as I referenced, uh, to transfer. Uh, You bring back Kwame Lasseter, who's going to be a a guy in his fifth year in the program. He's a legacy guy. His father, who was uh, in the NFL with the Arizona Cardinals and set the NFL record, with four interceptions in one game. He's trying to carry on that family legacy. He was our number one receptions leader last year and receiving yards. He'll be back, but I kind of feel like he's already broken out. We saw Luke Grimm make some big plays as a freshman a year ago. He could take that next step. But with two of your better, more established pass catchers leaving via the transfer portal, I think it opens up opportunity. We've got some young tight ends that could be big playmakers on this team. A lot of that, though, Zach, and I hate to keep copping out on you, but we don't know what the scheme's going to look like because we don't know who's going to be calling the plays. And, and we don't know what right. we're going to see there. So it's hard to pick true breakout guys. Maybe that's where Kenny Logan at safety is more of a, a safe choice there. But we definitely have talent. It's just a matter of, of what's it going to look like schematically. And hopefully we can revisit this conversation in a few <laughs> months with, with many more answers than we have questions, which is not the case currently. Yeah, and so, I mean, this brings us to the hardest question of the day, most likely. I know everyone I've had on here is like, man, you're putting me on the spot, but I look at the schedule for this 2021 season, and it is difficult. I'm not even going to lie. I mean, you have you have to travel to Coastal Carolina this year, and Grayson McCall is back at quarterback for them, who had one of the best true freshman seasons we've seen. Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Texas, also all on the road. And then you all still got Oklahoma and K-State. K-State still gets Skylar Thompson back from injury. And, you know, what is the ceiling and or floor for you for the 2021 team without a head coach right now, without confirming anything? But, I mean, just for you, where are your standards at? Man, I, I got to be of all your guests that you have on. I, I have it's the hardest, <laughs> the least to lean on here in, in predicting schedule forecasts and all that because we don't know what kind of offense we're going to run. We don't know who all is going to stay after certain decisions are made and all that. But I certainly think this club had we not had any of the change that, that just occurred in the last six weeks, they were ready to take a step if they could find something at the quarterback position that obviously is the all-important spot that, that would give you hope. And we thought 
Jalen Daniels showed flashes last year, and you know Brent Deerman was the offensive coordinator, did a nice job for Les Miles, and we really felt like if if Jalen could take that next step, that there was enough talent around him and enough playmakers defensively that Kansas in 2021 could win three, maybe four games even, if they found something special at that spot. Of all programs in the country, we can tell you, if you find the guy, you can go from outhouse to penthouse. And 2007, Todd Reesing and the 12-1 and Jayhawks are the perfect example of that. Now, a lot of things broke into place. It wasn't just the quarterback, obviously. But he rewrote the passing record books and obviously had two NFL receivers he was throwing to and Kerry Meyer and, and Desmond Briscoe that broke all kinds of records. And Mark Mangino is, is arguably the best coach Kansas has ever had. It wasn't just about Reesing, but it wasn't until Reesing's emergence that it really came into focus. You'll recall the early Mangino era. You had Bill Whittemore, quarterback, who was great for us, and we were able to get down to the Tangerine Bowl opposite of Phillip Rivers in 2003. They had Jason Swanson at quarterback that got to the Fort Worth Bowl a couple of years later. But it wasn't until you found something truly special that they really made that huge leap. And so, uh, for me, had the not had the change at, at head coach and all that, and we were still you know, all in on seeing Jalen Daniels' development, I would have been optimistic we could win two or three games if he grabbed that job and ran with it and was more consistent, uh, you know, was able to stay healthy, which was an issue at times his freshman season. Now, to be honest, Zach, I think you've got a, a three- or four-horse race at quarterback heading into the, the spring and summer, one of which isn't even here yet. But once he gets here, could could really – uh, you know, turn this thing upside down in terms of the depth chart as we currently look at that position. So it's it's tough to forecast, but I think if Kansas finds some consistency at that spot, because to be real with you, and I think you know this, you watch enough of the Big 12 to know that we've been trying to replace Todd Reesing for now 12 years, and, and there has not been another guy walking through that door. Carter Stanley is probably the closest thing to it we've had in terms of consistency at that position, and so that's that's what's going to be what ultimately keeps us in games and allows us to win a few. If whoever the OC is finds a guy, sticks with him, and we get some consistency at that position. But I'll tell you this much, optimistically speaking, from what I see of the landscape of that position group right now, once they add in everybody they're going to get, I like the talent that we have as much as any we've had in a while. But we don't know what the scheme's going to look like and, and what the new head coach and OC are going to want to do. So that's really tough to say. But I think they can win three games, even with the difficult schedule. Um, but then again, we might hire somebody that wants to come in or run the wishbone. You never know. And, and then everybody right. goes up in smoke. But uh, I, I do think this, it's going to be an intriguing group to watch because there's talent in all three phases of the game. And we do have the previous coaching staff to thank for that. Um, but I, I think whoever comes in, so long as he gets everybody bought in and on board, it's going to be a fun year of progress. It doesn't necessarily show up with a gaudy win statistic right out the gate, but does show up hopefully in, in competitive play, more roster building the right way with high school seniors. And then hopefully, you know, we get Kansas football back to a level of competitiveness by the second or third year of this new program, which would have been the fourth and fifth year of Les Miles' build, to where you're competing for for five and six win seasons. And that might be asking a lot uh, in the second or third year of the new head coach's reign, but I say that expectantly, hoping that he can take what Coach Miles started to build recruiting-wise and, and utilize a lot of those guys in, in building this thing up and making it more competitive. Because you can win at Kansas. You, you just have to string multiple recruiting classes together. You have to keep guys intact. And you have to 
hit on more guys than you miss on, you know, when it comes to getting these kids to pan out. And to call it like it is, for the last decade or so, we've probably swung and missed more than we've hit on guys. And you think back to the guys that won for Mark Mangino, Akeem Tlaib, who's going to be in Canton someday, he was a two-star recruit, Zach. Chris Harris, who might be a Hall of Famer as well, he's a four-time Pro Bowler. He was a three-star kid out of Bixby, Oklahoma, that didn't have a ton of other offers. Comes in, he's a freshman All-American right away. Uh, you know, Duke and Kansas were all that offered Todd Reese, and he's the most prolific passer in school history. So, whoever comes in next, he's going to have to hit some home runs and and get some guys that were diamonds in the rough to play above their level. But it's been done before. I think it can be done again, and I'm excited to see who Travis Goff ends up going with as our next head coach. I am pumped for it. We're, we're going to be covering on the podcast. We already covered, you know, the, everything that happened, who I want want to be hired. But I want to get to more of the Kansas thing. So I want to shift to the environment of Lawrence. What makes it unique? I've been to Lawrence. I have yet to be – I've yet to go to a game. We were planning on going to a Kansas game last year. But then, of course, COVID hit, and all trip plans were officially canceled as soon as COVID kind of hit and everything changed but I got a lot of trips playing this year I'm just I'm every week I got a I got a stadium I want to go to but what makes Lawrence for those who haven't been in David Booth Kansas Memorial Stadium such a, I guess a unique place on game days you know there's more history here than people realize uh you might not know this but John Wooden the legendary UCLA basketball coach actually helped work on the construction of Memorial Stadium before he became a famous basketball coach. So everybody talks about how James Naismith is buried in Lawrence and Fog Allen and, and Roy Williams, Bill Self, you know, these legendary coaches that coached here. John Wooden actually helped build the football stadium, believe it or not. <laughs> you know. But uh, I think what makes the stadium great, it's obviously not one of the bigger venues in the Big 12. We only hold about 48,000. But you have this beautiful view of, of the Mount Oread and the Campanile, which is this big uh, tower, bell tower on the top of the hill. The whole campus is located on a hill, but then that overlooks the stadium. Fans used to sit in great number on that hill looking into the stadium before they added a big jumbotron that kind of obstructs the view. But it's still looking out up at the hill is as picturesque as any Big 12 campus setting. And when we have a winning program, they'll support it well. You know, a couple of years ago when Coach Miles was in his first season and K-State came calling, we had our first sellout in 10 years, and and it was a raucous atmosphere in there. And so it, it can get back to that. But I would say just the, the beautiful view of the campus, especially in the fall when the leaves are changing, and then, you know, when you get the fans waving the wheat. That's our tradition after we score. And I don't know if this is going to be seen on the video version of this podcast, but the fans kind of wave their arms back and forth, waving the weed. And you got some people waving this way and the other waving this way. And so the weed's just all over the place. And, uh, and you know, when Todd Reason and those guys were here, we waved a lot of wheat. Uh, yeah. in, in some recent <laughs> seasons, there hasn't been as much wheat. But hopefully uh, the new coach and, and uh, the new OC will get back to the wheat waving a great deal. And uh, that is one of our more fun traditions uh, in addition to all the other pageantry that comes with the Kansas game day with the KU marching band and, and some of the greats. You know, people forget we produced the Kansas Comet, Gail Sayers. You know, we, we had other legends like John Hadle, who was a six-time pro bowler in the NFL that probably should be in the Hall of Fame. 
Ray Evans, uh, more recently, you know, names, as I mentioned, like Akeem Tlaib and Chris Harris that probably resonate with your younger listeners a lot more. But there's way more history here than people realize. And I think any trip to campus will reveal that once you start to look at the Ring of Honor and you see some of the legends that played at Kansas, you think, wait a minute, I didn't think they were that good. We actually have a much deeper, richer history than people realize. It's just been some some periods of famine in between the feasts that have led to the current perception, which is a, a down program. But we're trying to fix that right here, right now. Right. And also, I mean, it probably doesn't help that the basketball program is always at the top of its game with, with Bill Self and then you had Roy Williams back in the day. But, I mean, I want to get to your time as the voice of the Jayhawks. You've been there for – this will come into your sixth season. You've graduated, so you even saw moments, you know, back then too. Since you've been around this program, what are some of your most memorable moments from covering the Jayhawks or just being a student at Kansas? You know, as the voice of the Jayhawks, my most memorable moment is probably – the 2018 Elite Eight game versus Duke in Omaha when we went to overtime and Kansas was able to prevail. Bill Self beats Coach K and Coach Self goes to his third Final Four. That was my first and only Final Four on the call. And obviously we were the number one team in the country when the pandemic hit a year ago. We were number one with a bullet. I mean, before the final poll came out and Gonzaga got a couple of votes, uh, we were a unanimous number one. So – we were going to be the number one overall national seed, had a full head of steam with the best center in the country, the best defender in America, one of the top three point guards. As long as I'm still breathing and, and talking, I'll always wonder and, and regret the fact that we didn't have a chance to call that team in the postseason because that might have been self-second national title team. It really might have been. But my favorite memory of teams that actually got to play it out would have been 2018. And Grayson Allen had a shot to win it at the end of regulation that hung up on the lip of the rim for what felt like an eternity. It was like an egg on an equinox. It just sat there. And then by the grace of God fell off and we go to overtime and we win it. And it was amazing. So that was probably my favorite memory. But, you know, we, we've had some fun football memories too. We beat Texas up here my first year on the call. That was a special day. I've got something on the wall in my office that, that, uh, that commemorates that 24 to 21 overtime win. And I'll always remember that call beating Texas for the first time uh, and, and how great that felt as fans stormed the field. And hopefully many, many, many more memories to come. My very first game, I don't know if you can see this, but I'll, I'll turn the camera. You see that uh, portion of a Jayhawk there on the wall? Mm-hmm. That was the, the decal that was on the floor at Madison Square Garden. For wow. It's classic. And, you know, they have so many events that come through Madison Square Garden, whether it's a boxing match or a concert or a Knicks game. As soon as the event's over, they just peel the decal off the floor. They water it up and they throw it away. Well, I saw them throwing it away. And this was after Kansas had just beaten Duke. That seems to be a theme here. Uh, on a Frank Mason game winner. And my call was, hang, shoots, delivers, the Jayhawks win. You know, and, and they threw away this decal. And so I ran down there during commercial break, literally threw the headset down, ran down, asked the custodian, hey, can I have that? And I took half of it and gave it to Frank's mom. And the other half I, uh, I kept for myself. And that was my first call as the voice of the Jayhawks. So uh, we've, we've had some great moments to this point, but hopefully the best is yet to come. And I'm certainly the most blessed guy I know to get to call games at my alma mater. I work for so many great people and great coaches. And, and Bill Self is an absolute dream to work with, as anybody will attest to. So 
Uh, it's it's been a blast these first five years, but hopefully the next next five, Lord willing, will be even better. And hopefully uh, next time we have a number one team entering the March Madness bracket selection show, we won't have the tournament <laughs> before it even gets underway. Uh, I completely agree. Auburn was real hot there toward the end of the season too. We weren't number one, but Isaac Okoro finally got healthy and. We were going to make a run. I, I, I'll put my money. We were going to win the SEC that year, but maybe not a Final Four run again. But, you know, I, I feel your pain there. But uh, I really appreciate you joining me, man. You were easily one of the best we've had on here and with all your answers and everything. But where can our listeners find you, whether it be social media, on air, podcasts, where can they find you? Well, thank you, Zach. I appreciate the platform, and thank you for also not mentioning the 2019 NCAA tournament game <laughs> in Kansas. We didn't have to go there, so thank you. Uh, but, no, I, I think uh, the best way to, to tune in to us is via the TuneIn app. We actually have one of the most listened-to uh, networks in all of college athletics via TuneIn, which is totally free. So if you want to hear Kansas football or Kansas basketball, just search for the Jayhawk Network on that. But uh, we do a lot of stuff uh, through KUAthletics.com. We have some podcasts on there, including the Jayhawker, which is a, a project that, uh, that I've been affiliated with and I'm excited about. And then uh, through my own personal website, BrianHaney.com, I do a lot of – philanthropic stuff, particularly with pediatric cancer. And would love to talk to folks about that if they have an interest in contributing there. But thank you again for the platform. And uh, like I said, let's huddle up again closer to the season. We'll have a lot more answers than we had today in such a time of uncertainty. But if there is anything we are certain about, it's that the future is bright, the culture is changing, and there's just a lot of enthusiasm campus-wide right now about what things are going to look like going forward in all sports at KU. So uh, really excited to be a part of that, be the storyteller of that. So thanks again, Zach. I appreciate you, bud. Absolutely, man. But, yeah, we'll definitely have you on. I'll definitely reach out if I end up making it to Lawrence for the game this year. Uh, whether it be basketball and or football. I need to go to both. I really want to make it to basketball. I did bring up the NCAA tournament on purpose because I had Dave Cohen on here for Virginia, play-by-play guy, and he brought it up and was like, how do you feel about the Final Four? And it, I was I was like, that was the worst moment of my entire life. So I, I, I didn't want to bring it up to anybody. I didn't talk about it with uh, Jones and Hell at uh, UNC either. So I just was like, you know what? I had my, I had my uh, portion of the Final Four talk. Man, you know, Dave's actually a KU grad, and he's mm-hmm. uh, he's my elder by about four or five years, but he's a good friend, and I was excited for him when that happened. But it actually also came at the expense of my previous employer, Texas Tech. So uh, Virginia broke a lot of hearts that year, no doubt. But, yeah, yes, thank you. and uh, it's been a lot of fun. I, I can tell your knowledge and depth and breadth of, of college sports insight is vast. So call me anytime. I'll look forward to talking to you again. I appreciate it. But, guys, make sure to go find Brian wherever you want to follow him. Y'all know where to follow us. We'll be back soon with some Big 12 and 30 Days episodes next week. And, as y'all know, Monday through Friday we drop the two-minute drill on our YouTube channel. We're almost at 100 subscribers, guys. Once we get there, we're doing a merch giveaway, so make sure to subscribe. But, guys, for Brian, myself, and the Blue Bloods, we are out. <laughs>